let's pray. God, we know that you are a perfect God. There's not one atom, one place, one step uh, that is out of place and outside of your control. As we look at the world, it's hard to make sense of it. And yet, God, we know that your word declares that all your ways are perfect and that your ways are right. So, God, we know that we can faithfully and that we can rightly trust you. So, God, we pray now as we come to your word, open our eyes. God, increase our faith. I pray that you will help us see here things that increase our view of you and help us understand the way you're at work in our world. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are back in Psalm 91 again this week. And uh, just as a reminder, you know how this works? This is, this is an inductive Bible study. So uh, if you have a Bible or a copy of God's Word available to you, I encourage you to have that open. And uh, we're going to dig in this together. So for these uh, 10 or 15 minutes here, do your best to not, not be distracted by other things as much as you can. I know it's very difficult, especially uh, with kids, family, stuff like that. But, uh, but let's dig in here and, and see what God uh, has for us. An inductive Bible study means that we are simply working through the text together and seeking to discover what God has said. So rather than coming sort of with a finished product, something where we're walking through this process uh, together. I'm going to go ahead and share uh, my screen here to kind of uh, share some notes as we go along. So last week, we, we looked at the, the first part of this, and we began asking questions. And so these are questions that are good to ask anytime we come to Scripture. So we call them four questions and then kind of a bonus question at the end. And the four key questions are, what does this say? In other words, what does it say to the original audience? A second question is, what does this mean to us? In other words, how do we take what God has said and connect it to our lives? Third question is, what does this teach us about God himself, about God the Father, uh, God the Son, God the Spirit? What does this teach us about God? And the fourth question, what does this teach us about ourselves? And then a fun one as we go along is to ask, is there anything surprising here? So we began by asking those four questions, and then we introduced uh, the structure of this psalm, Psalm 91. And really, there are three parts or three movements here. The first two verses, and then we've got kind of the bulk of it in verses 3 through 13, and then again at the end, a conclusion in verses 14, 15, 16. Last time we looked at the first half of this, we looked at the first movement and then the kind of the first half of the second movement, and we saw that we see who God is and what God does, and in conclusion, we saw that when your trust is in God, you're in a safe place. So even if you're in a place that feels unstable, that feels unsafe, when you trust in God, like that little bird nestling under its mother's wing, we can know that we are safe there. Well, this week, we're going to dive into part two. And we're going to see more of what God does as we do this. And this is in verses 9 through 13. So I'll pick up in Psalm 91, verse 9. And, and read there. Because you have made the Lord your dwelling place, the Most High who is my refuge, no evil shall be allowed to befall you, no plague come near your tent. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On your hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion and on the adder. The young lion and the serpent you will trample underfoot. Because he holds fast to me in love, I will deliver him. I will protect him because he knows my name. When he calls to me, I will answer him. I will be with him in trouble. I will rescue him and honor him. With long life, I will satisfy him and show him my salvation. So we're going to see uh, tonight, I don't know if we're, frankly, if we're going to make it through both of these uh, last two sections, these last two movements, 
but we're going to see what God does, and then at the end, some beautiful promises from God, verses 9 through 13, and then uh, 14 through 16. So in verses 9 and 10, uh, let's look together at the extent of God's protection. In other words, how much can we trust God? How far does God go to protect his people? And as we do this, we're going to start like we did last week in verses 1 and 2, and just say, what names of God do we see here? And this section isn't quite as long in terms of listing out names, but it does list a couple here. Uh, first, we see that God is the most high. So in other words, th there's nothing high. God is the absolute. He's the absolute by which everything else is judged. Then we see a particular name and name used throughout Scripture, and that is that God is Yahweh. In other words, he's the faithful covenant Lord. Well, have we seen any either of these titles somewhere before? Well, if you were with us last week or if you read from the beginning, you'd see, yes, these same titles appear in Psalm 91, verses 1 and 2. And so God, again, is demonstrating that he is able to do anything. He reigns over everything. He is sovereign over all. So he's able, he's someone who's, he's worthy of trusting because he's able to do whatever we need him to do. And then again, what descriptions of God do we see here? So we look in verses 9 and 10, and we see things like God is called a dwelling place. A dwelling place is, is just a home. Many of you may be watching this from your home. Well, if we're doing homes right, and we're, we're, we're building them the way that they, they should be, they're designed to be a safe space. And this is God telling us that he is our home. He is our safe place, a place where when the world feels topsy-turvy and everything's going all over the place, God is a safe space, a place where we can hide. It's used to picture God's people running to him for refuge. It's almost like something's coming after us, and we run inside, close the door, and there we are, and it's safe. And that's, that's what God is for his people. Uh, here he's also called a refuge in verse 9. A refuge is just a word that means you're sheltering, either from danger or from a storm. We see the same word in verse 2. And so God is a shelter, a safe place, a home for his people. What, what, what is it here that we see God protecting us from? Well, we see two things in verse 10. God protects us from evil. So this can be uh, moral evil or it can be literal harm. In other words, God protects us from any kind of attack. Secondly, we see that God protects, protects us from plague. Now, this is great news in the world that we're living in right now, that God protects us from illness itself. So we can trust this God who is most high, reigns over all, and who protects his people. So what is the promise here for those who make God their home, for those who make God their safe space? Well, God's promise is that nothing can touch you when you are under the care of the almighty God, of the most high God. If God protects you, there's nothing that can touch you there. I've read a good bit about a number of effects of the fallout from the coronavirus in group venues, large kind of event venues, have just been slammed along with uh, the hospitality industry, um, any sort of tourism. But one thing that all these venues are finding out is that their events, uh, normally large events, they have insurance policies. And they cover, I don't know, all sorts of things, except pandemics. And so a lot of people are finding out right now that it's not something that we've planned for. And so the worst thing in the world is to find that you're losing everything and realize that you paid for insurance and your insurance doesn't cover what you needed it to cover. But what we see here is that we will never come 
asking God and find God unable to cover his insurance policy. We'll never find God unable to meet a need that, that he's promised to meet. A God who is almighty, a God who reigns over all, and yet a God who is tender. He's, he's like that, that mother, mother bird bringing the, the chicks under her wing. So this God who is ultimately powerful and yet close and tender. And so we see the extent of God's protection. And in verses 11 through 13, we see the ways that God protects us or the means of God's protection. Well, how is it in verses 11 and 12 that God protects us? Well, specifically, he says here, it's with his angels. Uh, now, sometimes angels get made into sort of a caricature or, or we, we think of them maybe as if they're fictitious rather than real. And yet God says here that his angels are a way that he actively works in our world to protect his children. Now, God can do anything that he wants, any way that he wants, but he has ways that he uses to accomplish his will. In other words, God wills people to come to faith in Christ. But he says that the way that happens is that, that we share the gospel. We speak the gospel. As God's people share the gospel, people come to faith in Christ. And here, one way that God accomplishes the protection for his people is through his ministering spirits, through the angels. Now, can you think of a time in Scripture where we see these verses? Now, obviously here, Psalm 91, we see them here. But is there any other place in Scripture where these verses appear? Now, if you think about it, they're at a relatively more familiar part in Scripture, and that's in Luke chapter 4 and Matthew chapter 4. And there we see Jesus being tempted by Satan. Satan takes Jesus up onto a high pinnacle on the temple, and he says, throw yourself down because it's written that God will command his angels concerning you and they'll bear you up. So he tempts him to, to, to cast himself off the temple. And yet Jesus then also uses scripture, but he uses it better than Satan. And he quotes it back and he says, you shall not put the Lord your God to the test. So what's the point? The point is, this is not kind of a license to, to do whatever you want, live on the edge. I don't know, high five everyone at the grocery store. The point here is that God ordains means, and, and he uses those things to protect us. But as we walk through life, we should live with complete trust in the Lord. So when God protects you, nothing can harm you. But when you put out your hand and you touch a hot stove, that doesn't mean you're not going to get burned. Jesus says, don't test the Lord. In other words, trust the, the, kind of the, the spirit-given wisdom. God will protect us. But God-given wisdom is one means that he uses to do that. So God uses these angels as active um, agents <clears throat> protecting his people. What kind of protection does God provide in verses 12 and 13? Well, he first describes here that he, we won't strike our foot against a stone. It's, it's like everyday mishaps. I mean, there are a few things that are worse than stubbing your toe. But God says he protects us even from these very average, everyday sort of injuries, these sorts of dangers. So he protects us from everyday sort of mishaps, but then he also protects us from extraordinary dangers. He goes on and says in verse 13, you'll tread on the lion and the adder, this, this poisonous snake. And so he's saying that even in extraordinary circumstances, you can trust me, you can trust the Lord. So what do we see here? We see that God's power is never limited by his ability, but only by his will. So we can trust God and trust the character of our God. So we pray to know God's will and pursue wisdom in how we love our lives while ultimately trusting in God's care. And so we're not going to get quite to uh, the, the last few verses here. That'll, we'll save those, I guess, for next week. 
But God's promise here is that when we trust him, we are in the most safe place we can be. Even when we're in the midst of a storm, in the midst of a plague, God can protect his people. Now, is, a, is this a promise that we'll never have trouble? No, it's not that sort of promise. It is, however, a promise that when trouble comes, God will walk with us through that trouble. So if you just look very briefly at verse 15, he says, I will be with him in trouble, which implies that what? Sometimes we walk through trouble, but we can also have confidence that when we walk through that trouble, God walks with us. He will never leave us. He will never forsake us. He will never leave us alone. We can safely trust our God, the one who is a rock, the one who, whose ways are right. He is our refuge. He is our home. He is our safe space. So as we close, the question I would have for us is this. Is Jesus Christ your home? Is he your safe space? And if he is, you're under the care of the creator God. Nothing can touch you there.